everybody know. Um, we might just pull some quotes here and there. Um, but, but like I said, the main idea is to just have a nice conversation. So that being said, uh, Jorge, if you want to lead off and let folks know who you are. Okay, I will try to do it. I will do yeah. my best at least. Uh, okay, I'm Jorge Turrado. I work as a SRE expert on Little Digital Hub. And in the, in the free time that I have, I'm get a maintainer. And basically, I focus on auto scaling in Kubernetes and everything related with, with the auto scaling in Kubernetes. Perfect. Excellent. Uh, move it over to Ali. Sure. Uh, good morning or afternoon or evening to all of you. Um, I'm Oleka Fiha. I'm a cloud native security uh, engineer slash consultant at Control Plane. Uh, we're a, a cloud native and open source security consultancy. Um, so do some client facing work, some internal work, some open source work on our own tooling. Um, really big on community stuff. Uh, and part of the reason I'm here is recently I've been working a lot on our internal data protection um, projects as a startup we're having to bootstrap all of these things so uh, it's been really interesting kind of building that out from scratch and that's it for me perfect yep and i am sure you are in one way either directly or indirectly connected to the next person who is sal um sal take it away yeah very familiar with control plane just contacted them about a pen testing um, but uh, yeah, so I'm Sal. I'm currently at Escher Cloud AI. Um, we're still primarily in stealth mode, um, but really my perspective is looking at how we ingest open source in the Kubernetes ecosystem securely uh, so that I can worry about my real problem, which is cybersecurity for supercomputers and understanding what we do when malicious injection touches GPUs. All right, very good. And last but certainly not least, Leo. I'm in Spain. I work mainly on data protection on IP, IT issues. So I'm happy to be here. And so I, I don't know. I think that I'm the being surrounded of technicians. I love it. It's all good. It's all good. Yep. Nice to have a mixture. Um, and Solon, uh, just for the folks who don't know you, if you want to introduce yourself really quickly, go for it. Hi, everybody. My name is Sylvain. I'm a former software engineer SRE at LinkedIn. Then I went to uh, help people to become software engineer by opening a bunch of software engineering schools around the world. Um, and uh, lately, I've been helping um, tech companies and communities to get their word out by being, being a PR consultant. Thanks for coming today. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Um, that being said, Sylvain, if it's okay with you, I can just give a little bit of a recap of what we did in the last session, and then we can open it up to everybody else um, just really quickly because of having different people from different backgrounds, precisely what we're looking for because of the difficulties around conversations about data security, data protection, privacy compliance, in terms of how can there be consensus on what the problem is in order to establish the correct solution. And organizations are approaching this in different ways and and sometimes struggling with having to you know getting a common language around around problems making sure that people are seeing things in a similar way and so like i said with that in mind just want to 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 go around for for everyone to sort of you know give a little bit of background on on some of the things that they're seeing in their day-to-day -day, uh regarding these issues and then Solana and i have some some other questions that we can put out there um so if each of you can just give 
bit of a summary, couple minutes about some of the things that have been catching your attention around these issues. Um, and that way um, we can sort of establish a, a framework to continue the conversation after that. Um, so that being said, we can start with, we'll just go in the same order. Um, Jorge, if you want to chime in about the things you've noticed being a maintainer in the Keta project, and then also perhaps in your, in your, in your, when you're not spending thousands of hours responding to Slack messages, um, things that you see in your day job in, uh, in Little. Yeah, of course. Uh, I guess that everybody knows or have heard about Keta, but in the case of uh, not heard about it, basically we do an autoscaler or we create a, a metric server which could query 60, near of 60 different upstreams just for uh, extending the, the Kubernetes uh, autoscaling features. And obviously this means, uh, this means that we have to deal with a lot of different authentication way, depending on the upstream, depending on the provider, depending on customer's uh, requirement. So we, we decided some time ago uh, to, to protect every communication, be it internal, every internal communication is protected over TLS for sure, uh, because it's required nowadays in Kubernetes. Uh, Apart from that, we are introducing uh, a mechanism, uh, probably today will be released indeed, uh, a mechanism for uh, self-manage the certificate in a better way than just generating a, a certificate for five years and, oh, let's continue with this party. No, we are introducing also a mechanism for using self-manager or for providing your own certificates and those kind of things, because we think that is a, a first-class uh, thing that we need to support in this scenario where we deal with a lot of different uh, information. Uh, another thing that we do is we never store any user data wherever. We don't store those data because storing data means that you need to protect the data. So we totally rely on Kubernetes API and if we need a secret, our users can provide us the secret reference. Okay, the secret is potato, and the key inside the secret is tomato. And Keda, instead of storing our own secrets, we totally relay on Kubernetes API just for requesting. So we don't store any secret apart from memory, obviously. We need to store the secrets in the process memory, but that's not a, any story for me. And apart from that, other other thing that we have faced uh, so, uh, with with majority with the biggest cloud providers is that they have a super nice feature from security from security point of view that is delegate, delegated identities, uh, zero trust, role assumption, workload identity. However, the specific cloud provider wants to to call it, but at the end of the day, is the same technology under the hood. Basically, they allow us to federate your own Kubernetes uh, or the uh, uh, server, your own Kubernetes uh, identity provider with their provider. And based on that uh, trusted relationship, you can access to the infrastructure. That's another feature that we that we found and that we trust on, on it. And we try to, to improve and, and to push to uh, our users to go there because uh, for me, is the most safe, uh, the safest option in cloud providers. So, basically, our our uh, threat protection model is: we don't store any data. 
So is the, we we transfer those responsibility to our, to the end users. They are the responsible of storing and managing their secrets. We don't access to any other secret. We are we are really strict in that way. We only query or we only get the minimum needed information. I mean, if you are scaling based on Prometheus or based on AWS CloudWatch, whatever, we only do it. We don't manage anything. We don't do anything related with management because that opens the door to having to do weird things and to uh, escalate the privilege in some places. And, and it's risky. And obviously, it's totally outside our our uh, target and our uh, uh, our goal as as project. So that's the the second point. And the third one is. We try, when when it's possible, we try to introduce every every uh, standard in the in the in the sector, in the in the tech area for adding security, like uh, federating or supporting federate authentications, uh, using TLS. We have recently we have deprecated TLS uh, below one point two, so for us. Uh, the minimum acceptable TLS, for instance, is 1.2, 1.2, because uh, 1.1 and 1.0 are broken, and you can you could use them, but they are not safe. So do, we try to to build our security policy on top of those three things, just for not having problems. Because even if if even even so, it's not our problem because we are not a company; we are an open source project. Uh, it it produces a really really bad uh, publicity if any user has a leak due to our project. All right, very good. A couple of things there that we we can discuss further, but uh, I think the understanding of almost nowadays anyone everyone has is in some way a security stakeholder whether they like it or not. And so, from your perspective of you know there are things we have to guarantee. Other things we're not going to get involved in because of limitations of perhaps not having, you know, there could be a knowledge gap there, particularly around the, the notion of not storing data. And, you know, that's a responsibility of the end user. But once again, that this has to be a part of it, even though at face value, it might not seem that Keta is a security-based project, but that still has a very strong component there. And obviously we could extrapolate that to, to other open source projects. In terms of questions, if you got questions, just hang on to them right now and we'll get to them uh, afterwards at the end. Just to want to get everyone a chance to, to share their thoughts. That being said, Ali, your turn. Um, things that have caught your attention lately, things that um, that you'd like to comment on. I think for us, because uh, the, data we, uh, the data we handle is so diverse, because uh, we've got clients in lots of different highly regulated industries, um, our kind of offensive security function, obviously the reports they're generating and the findings they're, they're documenting can be pretty sensitive. Um, we, we found that discovery was one of the biggest things, um, one of the most important things, and also keeping our data classification, um, data protection kind of processes and, and um, I guess our, our schema for it flexible so that we can change it uh, as and when we, we have we bring in more capabilities or start handling different kinds of data. Say we get cleared to do government work in a different country. Um, we need to handle that data according to the, the regulations and, um, and kind of the sensitivities there. Um, so avoiding the temptation to over-engineer things um, is, 
is important because if you go too far in one way, kind of making it um, the most resilient and perfect thing possible, then it's it's not going to. Uh, it's been more difficult to unpick that and uh, and make it work when you eventually down the line need to change it. Um, and I guess this, the second thing, which I, I touched on last time we, we met as well, was um, just as a, as a startup, as a, as a company that doesn't have like an internal security team, our kind of our security consulting function consult with the business itself um, and kind of act as our own security, that internal team. Um, making the most of, of native tools in, in or native capabilities in whatever tool we're using. Um, so G Suite or Jira or, or whatever it is, um, having kind of best practices or patterns documented uh, so that we can just pick those up, tweak them to meet our needs and, and run with them is, is great rather than having to kind of bring in loads of vendors or design new data protection and classification um, approaches from the ground up. Fantastic. That's great. And I think another thing that just comes to mind, silly, I never thought about this. Every single tool that we use has some kind of vulnerability or security risk that goes along with it. And as well as the data that's being given there. So I think that's a great insight. We just think about the sheer number of tools, like you said, whether it's Jira, whether it's Trello, whether it's um, you know, G Suite, which I know you mentioned in the previous conversation. Another thing that we can talk about further later on, or I'm sure Leo will have plenty to say, is that if you're going to be working with a company or a government in another country, how much you have to start learning about the individual regulations that you might be completely unaware of. And like you said, avoiding that temptation to over-engineer things, because if you walk into another country where things are going to be totally different, all of a sudden all that work feels like it's uh, it's going to waste. Great stuff. Uh, let's keep going. Sal. Uh, so I think there's, there's two points on that that I think really getting an understanding of how to be security compliant uh, across different sovereign nations and different sovereign nations definition of that. That's something that's actively coming into play right now. Um, I think it's gotten much more interesting since there's been sort of the push for SBOMs and the definitions of what is valid for an SBOM for different governments. I think that's a really great example of something that we're going to see an expansion and maybe a differentiation of how regulation is dealing with what ultimately is just a, from a developer's perspective, a template output, right? So we can standardize that in whatever way makes sense, but that convergence has really yet to happen. Um, but I think is coming into play less than two years. Um, but I think on the other side of that, I think there's something that I'm watching more broadly. I think it's really interesting in the Kubernetes language, um, but is you know something to pay attention across them. There's certain things about, I, I particularly pay attention to cloud computing, right? Kubernetes, Golang. And in those languages, for Kubernetes particularly, there's certain security concerns, some security permissions that just aren't excellent, but are engineered into the language itself and cannot be engineered out. Um, and so I'd love to see projects really focus on if we can't make those more secure, how do we get more honest and better about templating those? Because particularly from both open source maintainers that I work with, so I'll work with 12, 15 open source maintainers to try to get their projects secure. Both that maintainer and the head of an OSPO right now, both those personalities are dealing with the problem of not being able to identify in Kubernetes exactly how secure they are on any given day because of the ingest stream and knowing how secure their ingests are from other packages. So my concerns really are at that broader level. What are we doing to work across particularly that maintainer level to make sure that the, that security standard 
can be ingested um, in a way that doesn't burden you all so severely. I'm not saying that this is now your new job. Let's solve that systematically. <laughs> I think that's a great point. And also, once again, as, as Jorge kind of explained, it's like, look, you're already signing up for a lot as, as a maintainer. How do you establish you know, best practices and standards that can be met in a reasonable way without breaking the bank, so to speak, in terms of, of time and, and know-how and making, it, making those conversations easier rather than, and now you got to become a security expert. So I think that's, that's a great point. Awesome. Uh, let's keep going. Leo, so we've had you know, different mentions of you know, the, the difficulties in different countries. You've got a pretty solid background on that. If you want to explain a little bit about you know, things that you've worked on and, and then, of course, touch on the, on the trends that are catching your attention. Of course, thank you very much. Well, uh, well, in, in the in the past, I have been working for a while in in international relations, dealing with detection um, primarily. And uh, one of the projects I was dealing with was creating a sort of international standards on data protection that could be applied all around the world and could simplify all this mess of jurisdictions that we are uh, suffering right now. But of course, this is really, really difficult because, uh, you know, even the approaches that in many countries they have to privacy is absolutely different than the one that we have here. For example, in China, this concept does not exist. So you can imagine if the concept is not, not existing, uh, how can you explain to a guy which is living there that you are trying to protect it, you know? Uh, but uh, at the final stage, I'm sure that most of the of the people working from the from the uh, human rights and the law point of view on, on dealing with privacy and all these things focus just on the protection of the data. And um, if you look at the at the GDPR at the, at the regulation we have in Europe, um, well, it is important to 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 notice that the title is clear. It's, it talks about the protection of personal data, of course, but it also talks about the free movement of such of such data. You know. And um, people mm, forget about, about, about this. And I, I think that this is uh, what is leading to many problems on interpretation and how the laws work, you know? Um, in my opinion, what companies should do is to create internally a common level of protection, which is um, high enough to comply with the different legislation in, in which they are trying to 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 work at and um, you know set this this high level of protection as the standard for the company so um, you can do it from the legal point of view point of view by uh, using a tool which is created in europe which is a um which is called mining corporate rules uh, which is a sort of code of conduct that companies can apply internally and set high standards on privacy and so on and so but uh, you know this is a lot of bureaucracy that takes a lot of time and I think that um, uh, lawyers and technicians working together and trying to set this standard, this common standard in, in companies uh, could be much more effective than, than just laws, you know? Um, because I think that this is the way in which uh, we can both protect the data and at the same time allow the data to, full, to, to, to move freely, which is absolutely critical uh, in, this, in this era. But, that's that, that's our, uh, our my my Very good. Now I'm sure this could go in lots of directions because perhaps it's not often that lawyers and technicians, precisely as you said, are are in the same call. Um, if anybody has questions, things they want to get out there, based on the things we've talked about, any follow up points, 
Um, Jorge, since you were first and you've been listening to everybody else, you want to go for it? What? Uh, sorry, I was uh, a bit disconnected. It's okay. You were responding to emergency Slack messages as a good responsible maintainer. Um, no, I'm saying is that, you know, it's not often necessarily that we have these different stakeholders, you know, as, as what Leah was saying, getting lawyers and technicians to be working together. I want to see what your reaction was to anything that's been mentioned so far, any points that you'd like to take further. No, to be honest, I don't have any other point to be further, to go further because... Uh, I didn't prepare anything. No, 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 no. That's not, that's not the point here. My, my question is more along the lines. In, uh, and we're getting some interesting audio feedback. Um, oh, let me, let me check one thing really quick. Nothing is worse than hearing the sound of your own voice. Um, that, is, that is truly a painful experience. So I guess Jorge, what we're going for here is in whether it's as a maintainer or in your regular job, you know, how often is it that you find an intersection and conversations going on between folks that are for more in the legal background and the legal domain, also because you work in a multinational and people that are on the technical side? Okay. Uh, but luckily for me, because I hate those conversations, luckily for me, I don't have to, I don't need to have those conversations from legal part because uh, the best part is that we don't provide uh, any commercial support, neither in my own co in my own company. I mean, we we are Keda users in Sparse in Sparse Group. We use Keda, but if there is any leak or any problem or any legal compliance, is not with me. It's their own problem, and they need to talk with the guy who installed Keda in that specific place. So for me. Is luckily for me, it's not a, a common conversation, but I know that uh, folks like uh, Tonker Cole, maybe you, you know about him, uh, works for Microsoft and he needs to have these conversations with users. And I think that they are complicated because usually users require, uh, legal part requires a super in deep standard uh, actions, which are not totally doable in open source project, or maybe just for covering one super edge case, we need to refactor or redo a lot of places. I don't remember, there is a, a security standard uh, like, uh, that requires to call a specific endpoint. Sorry, but I don't remember. No, that's okay, that's okay. The name. And, AWS SDK, for instance, or Azure SDK support, both support that feature, but maybe Prometheus SDK doesn't support that feature. And those kind of or those kind of things sometimes are complicated to, to achieve or to address because you need to balance adding value with being safe, with, with protecting data, with not being, not being attached in your design to, to do things and sometimes are complicated. The best part about, from that or about that is that in our specific case, I think that control plane folk, uh, they have the same situation, but in general, the CNCF umbrella cover us as a CNCF project in security terms, not in, not legally, because obviously when you enter in a legal, in legal terms, it's complicated, but 
for instance, uh, we are we are it's not a secret. We are trying to to graduate to be an, uh, to be a graduate project in CNCF, and CNCF requires a security audit. So it's a good part because at the end of the day, we have a legal or not a legal an official hmm. document, an official auditory that okay, I'm not going to defend that auditory in front of any legal department or any plan or, or, or anyone. I'm not going to defend it, but it's public. So if anyone needs to know, okay, is Keda secure? Is this project secure? Can we use it? How we deal with our data? At the end of the day, the CMCF umbrella covers yep. those kind of things and it's easy for us. And yep. in my specific case, I don't deal with No, no, but I, but I think it's a great example because yeah, so like, yeah. That it's it's an insurance policy and it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, Silvan, did you want to share something? Silvan, your 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 audio is a little bit funky, or maybe it's just me. It's okay. If you want, you can just write. You can just write it, and then and then we'll pick up when uh once you get in there in the chat, or you can send it to me directly. Awesome, um, cool. So <laughs> these are the things that make these this stuff I dynamic. Would, um, yeah, yeah, Sal. Ben, because I think this is. I mean, really, my kind of my point here is kind of for Leo, because I. I mean, Jorge is talking to exactly the situation that I run into all the time, where consuming open source organizations assume that open source packages are vendors and they are not. And sometimes depending on what ecosystem you're in, the majority of them are not vendors, right? And so security in every other sector to this point has been put in place with the language and the understanding that there's a supply chain because that supply chain was physicalized to an organization, right? If Volvo's supply chain is better than another car company, I can see that in this case, all of those supply chains now are inside of this big cloud thing called Kubernetes. Um, and I, I do think there hasn't been a well enough centralized source of support. We've got verification, we've got monitoring. And the best CNCF will do for you right now is help you to monitor your security and sometimes help you get that into place. But even, you know, Jorge, at this level of graduating from CNCF, when you get to the audit stage and you get to that threat model, Sometimes they'll dump you off with a threat model and not give you next steps or support. Now, my, my question there, is that is that sustainable as a strategy for security for an ecosystem? Absolutely not. You need something that closes that gap so I can go to, you know, I want your like standard, like LDAP compliant, Kubernetes, Prometheus, Grafana, super standard. I want to be able to go to that and know that that's 100% secure when I pull that down for my release. And we can't do that right now. Um, so I'm actually really interested on sort of that legal and compliance side, even though those aren't the same thing. What do you think that's going to look like moving forward? Because these are fundamental, critical infrastructure problems. I I have I, I would like to. Jorge, the only thing I ask is I ask for a quick Anglo-Saxon answer. <laughs> the, I, I I don't have any answer for this, but I would like to not to, to remark that. So, uh, really often, users think that open source projects are vendors, and we are not vendors majority of the time. So you are you are downloading pro a project, a code that is public that you could audit and you could modify, but we are not vendors. You shouldn't think that we are vendors, and you shouldn't expect you shouldn't expect a commercial support or any kind of support in your in your 
very big problem when your infrastructure is burning. Don't wait, don't, don't expect uh, any kind of argent support from an open source organization because we are not vendors. And that's a really good uh, observation that ASL has done. I think that's great. And, and once again, as well, it's like, you've got the, you know, you've got the security audit from the CNCF. It's like, look, you know, uh, this, we get up till here. And then after that you're in charge, you, you know, you run it, like you said, it's not, it's not a product in that sense. Um, really quickly. Well, I want to hear from Ollie and then also from, from Leo, just to, for the sake of time to respect. Oh, and, and Solon dropped off. <laughs> sure. It's dynamic. Uh, Ollie, all yours. I think one of the interesting things about uh, like the CNCF and the, the graduation process is it's, it's a snapshot, it's a point in time. And I don't have the answer to this, obviously, but it, it raised the question in my mind, like how do you do continuous compliance with regulation for open source projects through an organization like CNCF? Um, do, you, do you have it on a kind of cal calendarized basis or um, do you do it on major releases? I, I don't know, but I think that's something that needs to be needs to be thought about because um, these projects change so fast, uh, like especially in the cloud native space, open, open source uh, projects are changing so fast. Um, they do slow down, the, the release speed does, does slow down as they mature, but um, the compliance could change quite a lot between releases or between even like yearly audits. Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful point and I think now we can turn it over to Leo as well. When you know people are working on technology, by the very nature of it, there are going to be changes. And when those changes come about, how can it be guaranteed that once again the security, data protection, compliance is being brought into the picture in a way that doesn't delay the releases that are going on, and so that it's not forgotten and not seen as being part of the problem, but rather part of the solution. What's been your experience regarding that in terms of, yeah, we get this established now according to the regulations that we see today, but in, in sometimes you know, six months or a year or two years down the road, how is that going to look? And how can this be done in a way that, that doesn't stall or cause heavy delays on the project's progress? That's a good point. <laughs> okay. And the, the, the problem we have from the point of view of legislation is that it tends to be very rigid. And of course, uh, you know, when lawyers arrive, uh, technology is already implemented. So lawyers are always arriving late. That's, that's what usually happens. So um, I think that the solution is regulating, taking into account uh, technology neutrality. Uh, I mean, setting, setting goals and not specific obligations that uh, allow companies and allow projects such as open source ones to well to to address these objectives to address these goals and to move forward um, by taking into account that of course there is law in place but that it is not possible to comply with every single law in every single jurisdiction because um, nobody knows them uh, and many times they are even contradictory between them and um, I'm focusing on, on on the big on the big goals, you know. Um, of course, uh, what we suggest to, to to programmers and to and to people will, which is coming to us in order to ask um, if their pro projects comply with, with, for example, data protection laws and, and things like these. And we usually say uh, say then that that you know when you are developing a tool, um, it's not compulsory that the tool is fully compliant with the laws. But just that it allows people to comply with the law, which is 
slightly different. For example, you can buy a car that can um, um, run to 150 kilometers per hour in speed, and this is illegal in uh, practically all jurisdictions. But, but uh, companies are producing these cars. What, what, why are they doing so? Well, because the car can go at 50, can go at 70, can go at 120, and can go at any speed that the, the driver wants. And I think that with technology, um, the approach should be similar. Okay, you can um, uh, develop a, a tool which allows to do lots, lots of things. And may, maybe some of them are not legal in some jurisdictions, but in, in so far as this tool is flexible enough to be adapted to all the specific cases and, and allow the user to well to modify the tool in the case of open source or even to set up uh, such tool in a way that is um, usable under this jurisdiction this would be enough when when drafting the, the gdpr I, I was um, involved in the drafting project of the gdpr representing spain at the very beginning of this of, of this project afterwards politicians enter into into the drafting of the, of the laws and you know how this works but in the legal first approach i was there and uh, they were um, arguing that would be very good to well to um, to force developers to obtain some kind of certification on and compliance with GDPR and things like this. And from our part, we were absolutely against this 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 kind of initiatives because we think that this is not not useful. What is useful is that you can um, convince or you can show your clients that. It is possible to to comply with the law with your tools, and uh, afterwards, uh, who is using the tool, who is uh, setting up the the tool, and who is deciding what to do with the tool is the user, is the end user. So the responsibility is in the year in the end, in end user. Uh, of course, if you your 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 software is good enough to allow the user to take decisions on this, and and it's not forcing to something which is not legal and this is our approach when when dealing with with software you know with software you know and and, and well um i think that it's um, not so rigid and and this is why laws shouldn't be um very explicit on setting requirements for software and things like this um, principles such as uh, privacy by design are really good because what they try to do is to well to force you to introduce privacy in the requirements of your software and you know developing something which is uh, capable to comply with law and I think that this is the point. This is great! Wow, fantastic insights and and I think once again the the issue of of ownership of control of responsibility where does that lie? Um, since we're we're already a bit over time and, and thanks to everybody for staying on. Just want to be thinking about what are things that we can be considering for, for future conversations. I've been taking notes. Sylvan's been taking notes. But if there's anything uh, that you would like us to keep in mind, questions, Sal, thank you for sharing that link. These are the things that are going to be helpful so that we know that we're focusing on the topics where, there, where there's a lot of ground to be covered. It's obvious that with a lot of things we're talking about today, it's a reminder of why these conversations are important because there's uncertainty. There's doubts. There's a feeling of being overwhelmed that I feel like I have to learn all these things. I can get in a lot of trouble. Leo, in your case as well, working with a lot of startups that you know are, are trying to do things correctly. They're thinking about scaling internationally. And in order to be, you know, getting their go-to market strategy ready and, and, and things like that, feeling, oh, I have no idea even where to start on this, but I know it's very important. Um, I think there's been a lot of stuff shared today that's, that's been very positive in that regard. 
in, in Jorge's case as well, seeing, you know, when an open source project gets started, what are the legal considerations that have to be uh, uh, minded? It's one thing if it's a project in the CNCF, if we look at other open source foundations, it's going to be different, um, slightly different flavors that might be encountered there. As, as Leo mentioned as well, how explicit does the law need to be, or is it more there as a guiding force and reminding folks, you know, who stands on which side? Lots and lots of great insights being uh, shared today. So if there's anything that we haven't talked about so far, just really quickly, you can either uh, turn on your mic and share it or leave it in the chat uh, because we want to know what are the topics that, that would be best to, to keep in mind. Sal, go for it. Yeah, I'm going to jump in right on that because I think we're like right at the crusp of what my, like my biggest issue right now is that on the legislation slide, like intent, absolutely observable, but oftentimes the, you know, the acts, these no resilience act, a lot of it's getting closer and closer to actually being technically empathetic to what can be done with the state of the internet as it exists. Um, so what I'm really interested in is where are the conversations being had? And if they're not being had, cause I can't find them, where are we going to have a conversation about what metadata is appropriate to hold and track for a digital object on the internet how much of that do we want to track and when and why does it make sense to track that? Because for the, there's examples now where we're seeing, I mean, when GDPR came in, when you tried to retrofact that onto a system, absolutely not possible. Um, the best thing we got out of that was the ability to like tick a box to, you know, state our own rights. And I think that's a great practice, but it, we're in a different situation now with this total supply chain and asks like SBOM, which are actually radically over-engineered for most conditions that they're set up to support. Um, so I'm interested, yeah, where, where are we going to go to get to a point where my regulation document is paired to a readme document uh, so that I can save myself years of translating the gap between as an organization? All right. Very good. Excellent. And once again, plenty and plenty of things to, to go further on there. Any other thoughts before we wrap it up? One thing that... Very quickly, Jorge, talking with... Sorry. No, go, oh, go, go for it, Ollie. Since we can't see you, we like to hear you. Go for it. Oh, you can't see me? Now. <laughs> sorry, the Wi-Fi... No, it doesn't matter. The recording, the recording well, it's okay. This is, <laughs> it's all good. Um, so one of the, the thoughts that came up, I guess, from an engineering perspective is... There are standards for, for APIs, for, for metrics and telemetry and that sort of thing. Um, and I just wonder how possible it would be to develop some kind of standard for uh, just creating an API endpoint that's exposed on a, on a piece of open source software or, or proprietary software that just gives you like a snapshot of compliance with various different, um, various different standards and regulations that's kind of stored in code that's kept up to date with the configuration of that particular instance of the software. Um, kind of in a sort of maybe from a DevSecOpsy or sort of um, continuous monitoring approach, you can tell if someone's gone in, Madman's gone in and changed a setting that has suddenly made data public. Um, you don't need to wait till the next audit. That'll appear at this know, slash compliance endpoint. Um, and that format is standardized across across different tools. Just a bit of wow. blue sky. I, I think this is, the yeah. consulting term. No, but still, but this is where the uh, a casual conversation on a Thursday turned into a billion dollar startup with that idea. So thank you, Ollie, for giving that information for free. We appreciate <laughs> that. 
we are transparent here and this is being recorded so we don't have to worry about remembering everything you said we can listen to that that's that's brilliant and that's lovely i like and that's the thing is that how much you know we talk a lot about automation how how can this be done so it doesn't have to be every six months when there's an audit that these things can just be detected and there's more transparency if there are changes made who made them and when did they happen um so i think that's great good uh leo you want to say something as well it was just a, a, a little joke. That's just to say, Jorge, that talking with lawyers is not as terrible. <laughs> <laughs> if we accomplished anything today, we got Jorge in the same room as a lawyer, and that's that's wonderful. But I think I but I think that's I think it's really really good to hear Jorge's perspective, also being so honest and and, and authentic and transparent of saying, I'm really happy that I don't have to deal with this stuff. And and that's once again the pain points for stakeholders when they feel they're being dragged into conversations, or it's like, look, I'm a programmer, I'm a maintainer. This is it should be out of sight, out of mind. At the same time, is that it is 2023, and uh, you know how much do we really trust a lot of the a lot of the, you know the different agencies and, and companies that are out there with with the data that's being shared? How much are we aware of when we, you know classic things and when we agree to terms and conditions? What's going to be done? As was brought up earlier too, all the tools that we're using. All right, uh, where is you know, we're, we're willingly signing up, we're paying on a subscription basis, we're giving away lots of information, what is being done with that and what is being done to protect it, where does it become our responsibility and where is it theirs? Lots of big questions there and then also things that are more on the technical side. I think Jorge is ready to go have, uh, for those of you that aren't in Spain, it's a tradition on, 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 on Thursdays to go have a social time and have a, what we call it in the, in the Basque country, Pincho Pote. Uh, Jorge, you're going to do that today? It's not jueves, it's juevincho. <laughs> yeah, we also say juernes, which is a combination of uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, so anyway, this is this is really good. And the good news is, is that all of you will be able to enjoy that when the Open Source Summit happens in uh, Bilbao at the end of, uh, uh, well, not, towards the end of this year in September. And I'll certainly be here in Jorge will as well. But seriously, thank you very, very much. Um, we will get invitations sent out to the next one. Um, same kind of format, show and tell, open conversations. I'm getting a lot out of this. Um, and we'll also have the recording. We'll get everything cleaned up. And we, like I said, we won't put anything out there until until sharing it with you first. You know, video is one thing, but I think audio is kind of the name of the game here since we, we didn't have slides or anything like that. Um, but thanks so much for joining today. Really, really appreciate it. And had some great input and, and lots of things to, to follow up on. So yeah, uh, what, last thing though, sorry. 